Institutes of Health says nearly one in five adults in this country lives with mental illness, and many don't seek help because of the stigma that still carries. It focuses on the mental health crisis America's young people are facing. There's an alarming new CDC survey of high school students finding 42% of them feel sadness or rise in teens on TikTok self-diagnosing themselves with rare mental health disorders in, in most cases that they don't have after watching videos on the social platform. Welcome to this episode of The Soul Trap. My name is Joel Tillis and we are glad to have you tuning in. We hope that this broadcast, wherever, whenever it finds you, finds you on that good and narrow way. Today, I want to talk with you and really I'm almost coming back to a subject that we talked about, oh man, I would say maybe a couple years ago. I want to talk to you in a little bit, maybe almost just a book review, uh, about the myth of mental illness. Thomas S. Shaj, I believe is how you pronounce it. I've heard it both ways. Uh, S-Z-A-S-Z. Uh, the book is actually called The Myth of Mental Illness. Years ago, I did a podcast on this, and I think I even ended up doing a live interview with somebody because people got really, really upset about it. Uh, I stand by what I did, and I'm even more convinced of it today. What do you mean by the myth of mental illness? Well, let me read you the back of this book, and this is the 50th anniversary, so this is not some fly-by-night book that has come out. Uh, Thomas Dr. Shaj, uh, from 1920, died in 2012, was a professor of psychiatry at the State University of New York in Syracuse, where he taught for more than five decades. The book says the most influential critique of psychiatry ever written. Dr. Thomas's classic book revolutionized thinking about the nature of the psychiatric profession and the moral implications of its practices. By diagnosing unwanted behavior as mental illness. Now, I want you to listen to that phrase for a moment. By diagnosing unwanted behavior as mental illness, psychiatrists, Thomas argues, absolve individuals of responsibility for their actions and instead blame their alleged illness. He also critiques Freudian psychology as a pseudoscience and warns against the dangerous overreach of psychiatry into all aspects of the modern life. Now, <clears throat> at, at the soul trap here, every once in a while we, we cross these lines, and uh, not just as a soul trap podcaster, but as a pastor, I can say that probably one of the greatest, most damaging effects in people's lives is the concept of psychological mental illness. People walk through the door and they leave their wives because they're depressed. Uh, people walk through the door and they leave their husband. Why? Because they're depressed. Uh, people go out and spend far more money than they should and get in debt. Uh, why? Because their anxiety or their dad didn't love them the way they should or their mom slapped them upside the head, or, or, or whatever these things were. And because of an event that took place in their life, maybe it was a real event, maybe it was an imagined event, maybe it was indeed a traumatic event, but nonetheless, because of an event that took place in their life, that event now allows them to act in ways that are morally reprehensible, that are, that are without character, devoid of reason 
of character, of rationale. And it is because psychology and all of its terms, its non-technical terms, I would add, are now a part of the zeitgeist. It is a part of our thinking, of our psyche. We can say things and justify things psychologically, which never could have been justified just a hundred years ago. But it's a mental illness, and therefore you can't blame people for that. This book, I think every pastor in America should read. Every missionary should read. Every evangelist should read. Every Christian should read. It absolutely cuts the Gordian knot of the nonsensical psychological chain that has been wrapped around our neck like an albatross that allows people to act any way they want, seek some kind of strange medication that will mysteriously help them and alleviate their problems and let them go. Now, you might be saying, hey, you're not being kind. I mean, depression is real. Maybe a sliver of it. But the vast majority, well, you read the book and then draw your own conclusions. Now, what I want to do is just read you a couple slivers here and, and give you a picture of what's going on. And on page, uh, on page number seven of the preface, this is the key thesis. And it is that behavior is not exclusively biological. In other words, you have to say that behavior is not just a biological thing. How do you define depression? How do you define anxiety? Would you define depression for me? Define it in a scientific way. Define anxiety in a scientific way. Thomas writes in the book here, he says, the claim that mental illnesses are diagnosable disorders of the brain is not based in scientific research. Now, keep that little phrase in mind. We'll come back to that in just a moment. The claim that mental illnesses are not diagnosable disorders of the brain is, n are, is not based in scientific research. It is a lie. An error or a naive revival of the somatic premise of the long-discredited humoral theory of disease. My claim is that mental illnesses are fictitious illnesses. And it's not just, they're not based on scientific research. It rests on the materialistic scientific definition of illness as a pathological alteration of cells, tissues, of organ. If we accept this scientific definition of disease, then it follows that mental illness is a metaphor and that asserting that view is asserting an analytic truth not subjective to empirical falsification. What he's saying is, is that there's no such thing scientifically as mental illness. Therefore, to treat it that way is not true. He states, my great unforgivable sin in the myth of mental illness was calling public attention to the linguistic pretensions of psychiatry and its preemptive rhetoric. Profound statement there. Let me give you another little sliver here. He says, the thesis I put forward in the myth of mental illness was not a fresh insight, much less a new discovery. It only seemed that way, and seems that way even more so today, because we have replaced the old religious humanistic perspective on the tragic nature of life with a modern dehumanized pseudo-medical perspective. The secularization of everyday life and with it the medicalization of the soul and suffering of all kinds 
begins in the late 16th century England, and you'll have to read as you go forward. It's a great book. In other words, one of the things that happens here is he said, because of this, then there are no more bad people in the world. There are only mentally ill people. On and on it goes. Now, I want to encourage you to read this. And one of the things that strikes me is, is that he talks about how the, the, the science is just not true. It's more meta-science. Now, what's the big deal about that? Well, this book was written and he made his statements and everybody's upset. Okay. Until recently, July 27th, 2022, all of a sudden something comes across the wire that was just there for a time and then right off. Here's the headline. The evidence is in. Depression might not be linked to low serotonin after all. Come again? That's what we were told. That's the medicine you're taking right now if you're on that. The key takeaways from this article before we get into it state that so-called serotonin theory, did you know that that was a theory? When you get prescribed medicine that helps you with your serotonin levels, did you know that you were taking medicine based upon a theory? That serotonin theory claims that the activity or levels of serotonin in the brain are responsible for depression. That's what makes you depressed. Not your weight, not your blood sugar, not your sin, not your behavior, not your lack of character, not your, none of that, what makes you depressed is serotonin levels. And so the psychologist now can give you medication just like a doctor because at root, that psychologist wants to be treated at the same level as a medical doctor. You can find that in here. Another takeaway is that a major review of prior research says there is zero convincing evidence to support this theory. Many people take antidepressants because they've been led to believe in a biochemical cause for depression. But this review calls into question what antidepressants actually do. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, that people that take that medication have been taking it based upon a theory? Based upon an idea that has never conclusively been proven in the research data. The article states, a closer look at the review. The studies involved in the review included tens of thousands of participants and adopted several different approaches to the relationship between serotonin and depression. Research comparing levels of serotonin and its breakdown products in the blood or brain fluids did not find a difference between people diagnosed with depression and healthy comparison participants. The current study allows us to come to a proper evidence-based verdict on the serotonin theory of depression, which we believe is important for the scientific community and for the general public. Now, my question is how many people are still being diagnosed with this medication and why? The team also analyzed studies involving hundreds of participants whose serotonin levels were artificially lowered by withdrawing the amino acid required to make serotonin from their diets. A 2007 meta-analysis and a sample of recent studies found that this method of reducing serotonin levels didn't cause depression in healthy participants, discrediting a link between serotonin deficiency and the condition. 
Several large studies looked at gene variation, including the serotonin transporter gene, but they identified no difference in the genes of people with depression and healthy controls. The statement says many psychiatrists and neuroscientists suspected that serotonin theory was invalid. Okay, stop for a second. Let me say that again. Quote, many psychiatrists and neuroscientists suspected that serotonin theory was invalid from the NIMH-funded sequenced treatment alternatives to relieve depression study, which was completed in 2004, or even before that, Dr. Tindler says. Now what that means is, is that this theory has pumped millions of pills into millions of people on a theory and what you have to ask yourself is is wait a second as these have come to the front have things happened in our children in our society is there a connection in other words I'm, I'm dancing around but here's my connection is it that we have access to assault rifles or is it that some of these children, oh, I'm sorry, almost all the shooters that come to light are on some kind of antidepressant medicine. Antidepressant medication that they are being given based upon a theory that has never been proven. And apparently now, many psychiatrists and neuroscientists suspected that the theory was invalid. Why are they still prescribing it? Why is there not a national ban right now on any antidepressant that has anything to do with serotonin? Money? Power? Maybe it's opening the door to another way? Pharmacaea? I don't know. The article goes on to say he points out that this is why there was a different classes of antidepressants that work on other neurotransmitters. Okay, my immediate... Well, they'll say, well, listen, there were other... Do we have facts that those neurotransmitters are working? <clears throat> what do we believe? Who do we believe here? Plus other such treatments as psychotherapy, trans, <laughs> I love this one, transcranial magnetic stimulation. Let me say that again. That's a legitimate thing that people use because you're depressed. Transcranial magnetic stimulation. And here's my favorite, electroconvulsive therapy. The serotonin hypothesis of clinical depression is almost 50 years old. At its simplest, the hypothesis proposes that diminished activity of serotonin pathways play a causal role, and I love the way that scientists talk like lawyers, play a causal role in the pathophysiology of depression. Pathophysiology of depression. What did you say? Okay. I guess if you use bigger words that nobody can pronounce or understand, that can get you past the fact that this was never proven. We're pumping medication into people and we don't even know if it works. This notion, this notion was based on the depressogenic effects of amine depleting agencies such as respirine, as well as the actions of antidepressant drugs such as monamine, Oxyadase inhibitors and trilysic antidepressants discovered by clinical serendipity. Ah, so because the drug companies discovered it, it must be true. However, later found in animal experimental studies to potentiate the effects of serotonin and other monomines. 
So they, they ran tests on animals and said it must work on animals, therefore it must work on humans. Now, honestly, good night, man. I know I don't have a PhD in anything, but how do you define depression? Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling bummed out? Okay. If a human being walks in and says, I'm depressed, they can tell you what that depressed means, but nobody actually has a scientific definition of that. But how, pray tell, do you figure out if a rat is depressed? How do they tell you what they're feeling? How do you know? They said, well, they were lethargic, and then we gave them this, and now they're not lethargic, they're running around the maze. The crack will produce the same thing. I'll guarantee you, if you let a rat who's lethargic snort a line of cocaine, they're gonna be running around crazy in that maze. That doesn't necessarily mean that you fix the problem. This is the insanity of the psychiatric world. This is the insanity of taking behavior and saying that it's biological and therefore we just need to give medication or accept it. And mind you, that's how you have jumped from where we are, heterosexuality to homosexuality. And I promise you that's the jump that they're going to make into pedophilia, that it is a biological behavior that we can't tamper with. Now, the article goes on to say the pattern of theory making moving from the pharmacological action of drugs with some efficacy in treatment to biochemical notions of causation has been common in biological psychiatry. In such an undeveloped field, this approach, though logically precarious, has been useful in the case of the dopamine hypothesis of psychosis has been strikingly upheld by advanced brain imaging techniques. However, the serotonin hypothesis of depression has not been clearly substantiated. Indeed, it has been dogged by unreliable clinical bio biochemical findings and the difficulty of relating changes in serotonin activity to mood to state. The serotonin hypothesis eventually achieved, quote, conspiracy theory status, whose avowed purpose was to enable industry to market selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors to the gullible public. And that's what you and I are to them, the gullible public. Is serotonin still relevant to an understanding of depression? The article asks, in biological psychiatry, and that is absolutely an oxymoronic statement, there's no such thing. Read the book. Don't please don't send me emails. Please read the book. You have the time. You have it there. It is an easy read. I'll be glad to help you with it. Read the book. There's no such thing as biological psychiatry. But the article states in biological psychiatry, pathophysiological hypotheses are not easily refuted. Huh? Let me read that statement again. In biological psychiatry, pathophysiological hypotheses are not easily refuted. More often they seem, simply seem to become irrelevant as new models of causation take their place. Do you know what they say? What that's saying is once they tell you something is true, it's really kind of hard to not prove that it's true and they just keep adding layer after layer. In an era of neural networks and systems level of neuroscience, single neurotransmitter theories of depression look increasingly implausible. Is serotonin still worth thinking about in relation to depression? The best evidence that serotonin plays a role in the pathophysiological of depression comes from studies of the tryptophan depletion 
where an acute dietary manipulation is employed to produce a transient lowering in brain serotonin activity through diminishing availability. In healthy participants with no risk factors for depression, tryptophan depletion does not produce clinically significant changes in mood. However, recovered depressed patients free of medication can show brief clinically relevant depressive symptomology. Interesting, the same is true of recovered depressed patients undergoing other depletions of other things. In other words, what they're saying is in a very complicated way, nope, sorry, nothing changes. Overall, this evidence suggests that impairing serotonin function might possibly somehow could cause some kind of circumstances in which it causes clinical depression but there's not enough not enough sufficient data to prove that how do they prove this how do they make it clear they don't it is a myth it is actually the myth of mental illness the statement underneath is the myth of mental illness foundations of a theory of personal conduct the New York Times states this is a landmark book that argued that psychiatry consistently expands its definition of mental illness to impose its authority over moral and cultural conflict. If you want to see what's going on, get out of Netflix, stop running around and watching constant YouTube videos on the same old stuff that you watch all the time, get the book and recognize that you and I are living under a psychiatric tyranny.